know a doctor that might be able to help you. I'd like to meet him. We'll get that name after the show. Thank you very much. That's very nice. Anyone else? Yes, stand right up. But if you had regular hands, you'd be like everyone else. Yes, I know. <laughs> I think he'd like that. But then no one would think you were special. You wouldn't be on TV or anything. No matter what, Edward will always be special. Hey everybody, welcome back to another sweet episode of Citizen Frame. That's the first time I've actually said our, our podcast name in the beginning of the podcast. People, we're a household name now, so you don't need to, you know. <laughs> I know, recognize people, recognize. <laughs> uh, one of my, next to the Halloween uh, month, Christmas is probably our biggest month, because uh, we like to pick you know, obviously the obvious Christmas ones, and then we like to really stretch it yeah. <laughs> with some of our other ones. Uh, but it's all in good fun. And speaking of fun, what good, what a good way to start off the uh, Christmas month with Tim Burton classic. It is considered a classic. It is probably, next to Batman, his best-reviewed film, and that is Edward Scissorhands. You know, it, it, we talk about influences a lot here. We talk about directors who have paved the way. And we talked about, uh, or writers, like Philip K. Dick would be mm-hmm. a perfect example. We just talked about him with Blade Runner, you know, and his vision and how his vision has been told over and over again, whether it's by different authors or different directors, yeah. whatever. Influencing. But nobody really talks about the influence. And it is amazes me how the influence... Of one female writer, and how it's probably probably next to Christmas Carol, one of the most influential pieces of work ever ever created, and that's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And it's copy and pay over and over and over. We had this discussion the other night about Christmas mm-hmm. Carol, about how no matter what version it is, it could be bad, good, whatever, you still enjoy it because there's something about the story It's a classic itself. story. Yes, it, it transitions well. And Mary Shelley's got it, man. Yeah. She's got it. I didn't think about that till we watched little Edward Scissorhands. Um, and I can tell you, we all know Tim Burton's work. We talked Tim Burton quite a bit on this podcast. And his, he loves, you can tell already, he loves goth. Gothic kind of horror. He likes... You know, anime. He likes ev- anything um, and everything that he's uh, educated in. He was an animator from Disney. Uh, I think his first little independent little film was Frankenweenie. Yeah, I think he made one called Vincent as well, about Vincent Price, who's in Beetlejuice. Yeah, and I think Frankenweenie, Vincent Price is in that too. He's the mm-hmm. voice as well. Could be wrong, but I, I, I'm pretty confident in that one. But obviously, he's pretty he's pretty much a hot ticket at this point. This came out in 1991. And you had uh, A-lister, who was up for it, which was Tom Cruise. Um, and the only reason he turned it down, actually, even said just recently, was was because it's too much of a dark ending. He'd rather have a, you know, more of a Hollywood ending, I guess you could say. Um, and, you know, I'm going to come back to that comment. I'll hold my review until okay. the end of the, of the podcast. I have some I'm thoughts gonna, on that as well, but I'll hold fire. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that one. We'll, we'll end with the Tom Cruise. Um, but Edward Scissorhands, he was hot from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Still still one of my favorites. And 
obviously the the Yoda of Tim Burton, Beetlejuice, mm-hmm. and then Batman. Sorry, what? What? Sorry, the Yoda of Tim Burton. Tim Burton. What? <laughs> the Yoda. What's that mean? That's my. That means the ultimate. My favorite right. Tim Burton is going to be Edward Scissorhands. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Beetlejuice. Okay. Right. Just get it. The Yoda of his. Wonder what you were saying there. <laughs> Yeah, I get it. I think people understood what I was saying. It's okay. You watch, you watch Doctor Who. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> it's a Doctor Who of your Tim Burton films, then. Right. Got you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't say uh, fucking Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, this is. How do you. What do you characterize this? I would say it's a goth fairy tale. Yeah, it's fantasy. Um, uh, a little bit of surrealism in there as well, uh, but th- definitely d- dark fantasy fairy tale. Okay. In this one, he teams up with his uh, co-producer and uh, co-writer of a lot of his stuff, Caroline Thompson, who had written, obviously, Edward Scissorhands, The Amos Family, Nightmare Before Christmas, Corpse Bride. So you pretty much can see where... <laughs> Apparently, um, it was Burton and Caroline Thompson who did the story themselves, you know, for it, you know, and then she wrote the script. But apparently it's originally based on uh, an illustration Burton drew whenever he was younger. Well, a lot of his yeah. stuff is. I mean, I probably 90%. James Cameron was like that when he was a truck mm-hmm. driver, I think. He drew and dabbed a lot of his stuff, and now he's recreated it. So I think, um, yeah, so I, I, can, I can certainly see that, especially with his background in anime with Disney yeah. and all. So you can certainly see that influence. Yeah, yeah, the animation thing. Yeah. Um, here we go. We got Edward, Kim, Peg, Jim, Joyce, Bill, the inventor, Helen, Marge, Kevin, Officer Allen, the nicest, the nice yes. character, and Esmeralda. Oh, Esmeralda, who's in a lot of Tim Burton stuff. She's a quirky character actress. So let's just start off right now. I'm gonna say it right now. I fucking love Danny Elfman. <laughs> I Danny Elfman's score when he when him and Tim Burton get together, it's Spielberg and Williams. I, I'm going to play Devil's uh, um, Avocado. Oh, uh, don't um, now, little oh. now. While I love uh, a lot of Burton's work, I haven't seen all of Burton's work. I must say as well. Um, but you know what I have seen, um, especially is sort of earlier stuff like this. I very much enjoyed, and I also very much enjoy Elfman's scores plus Elfman scores for Burton films. But I would say as well, I, I sort of, I've heard that many of them, uh, you know, um, they do all sound a bit samey. They're still very good and, you know, high quality, but they can be a bit samey. But it's a minor well, gripe. They're all this, but that's any composer. John Williams, I mean, the Imperial mm-hmm. March and the Raiders March sound like mirror image. Yeah. You know, I, most composers can't Hans create. Zimmer as well. A lot of his stuff is. Yeah, you, you, you can't, that's why when you hear a score, everyone knows who it is right mm-hmm. away. Because they have that rhythm. They have that, that specific sound. Because it's very tough to create a whole new piece mm-hmm. originally and then do another film. There's a lot of copy and pasting. But that's their that's their. Yeah, tag. well, fair enough. But, but I'm just saying, and, you know, but it, I, from, a, from an audience point of view or from my personal audience point of view, it, they can't sound a bit CMA. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm right. just saying it's a minor gripe. That's fine. Imagine you hate it. That's cool. <laughs> so, um, but when I, but listening to it, I finally have the perfect description of Danny Elfman theme music, and it is eerie, but playful. Quirky, yeah, quirky. No, 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 no. Eerie and playful. 
All right, fair enough. <laughs> quirky. No, no, we are no. Well, I, I would describe Eerie. Burton as quirky as well. Yeah, well, they both are perfect. They both complement mm-hmm. each other. Um, so I'm glad they had that little falling out, but I'm glad they're back together now because I would. You need that. You, you need. They need. They complement mm-hmm. each other. You need them both. Okay. Um, so, in reading up on this a little bit, you know how the houses look a little well quirky. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> um, suburbia throwback. Yeah. So wh- what he was, what he, what Tim Burton said was, you were supposed to see what Edward was yes. seeing. You were seeing it through his it's eyes. It's very dreamlike. So, yeah. So for some of the the ultra colors and what is actually happening might not be what, what you were saying is not exactly what the neighborhood actually yes. looks like. And it's very, it actually put me, um, you know, I got a, a very, and even when I originally watched it um, back in 1990 or 1991, whenever I got it out in video, it, um, it, it very much has a 1950s, 1960s vibe, you know, sort of Americana type vibe. What do mean? Does yeah. it is? It's pretty much late sixties, early seventies. But it, but but no, but yeah, yes, but but there's eighties. There's the eighties is in there as yeah. well. Yeah, there's the cassette player involved. You can see little tidbits of everything. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's pretty much a mosh pit of everything. Mm-hmm. What kind of hurts the film, but doesn't. I hate saying it because it's sad. That's our boy Vincent Price, who was took quite ill during the filming of this so his a lot of his scenes were cut or they couldn't film them they were edited you know whatever mm-hmm. and so we got very little Vincent Price and ironic twist is he dies in the film but he died I think right after this movie yes was filmed, so his last his last ever sort of scene on film was a death scene yeah the one we need to, uh, which is sad yes. Vincent Price was awesome. oh yeah he was one of the greatest and uh and I'm sure it was bittersweet, I guess you can say, for yeah. Tim Burton. Because he, he loved Vincent mm-hmm. Price, as we just talked about. But the reason I say it hurts the film a bit, I felt that we needed more with that. You know what I mean? I wanted more of the Vincent, uh, the the inventor, they called him, uh, the inventor with Edward. Um, and we sadly, the reason I just gave, we, we didn't get that. So I'm not going to I mean, I, would, I, mean, I think we got just about enough. But I mean, I'll always, I'll never complain about getting more Vincent Price. But... Sadly, you know, it wasn't to be, but that's okay. What we do get is still excellent. Yeah, we'll take it. We'll yeah. take what we can get with Vincent. Yeah. All right, so we got we got Kim now, who's the grandma. Great makeup, mm-hmm. by the way. Very good makeup. Uh, I love the opening shot. Again, I love my models, and so does Tim Burton. He won't sell out. He still uses his little yep. models. Clearly, this is a yeah. model of it's the obvious. castle, but I love it. Fucking love it. And But it was beautiful because you have this... Um, it was stream. It was fairy tale like. You had this, yeah. You had this. You had the snow coming down, and you, you and you you pan. You, you see the, the the castle, and the great thing about it at first, you think it's a snow globe, mm-hmm. and then when it pans out, you see you're looking through the window, the, the Kim's yeah. window, um, which is which was kind of cool. But I I don't know if he was going for that, but I kind of mm-hmm. caught that. Uh, I'm just trying to be, uh, you know. Kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, it was. No, no, it was. It was very nice. You know, it, but it's it's very, it is very sort of children's fairy tale type, you know, opening. Especially with the grandmother, you know, Kim as a grandmother, you know, reading to her granddaughter, you know. Yeah, I almost had that Princess Bride feel. Yeah. When Fred Savage was being read to by Peter yes. Falk in the bed. 
and telling them the story. Um, kind of reminded me of that a bit when I first saw it. Even Roald Dahl's um, The Witches, you know, I believe there's scenes where the grandmother's talking to the wee boy and stuff. You know, I'm talking about the original film version of it from, I think, the same year, actually, as this, 1990. There's a scene where we were introduced to the, the whole castle, and obviously it's just, you know, you know it's run down, eerie and creepy, but the garden's gorgeous. Yes. You know, it's beautifully taken care of, obviously, by Edward. And it almost reflects what you're, what we're about to talk about. I, mean, I kind of caught it in this feeling, and I might be wrong, but he was almost saying beauty can be even seen in the most hideous yeah, things. Yeah, and beauty is also in the eye of the beholder, you know. Yeah, And um, exactly. I must say as well, the interior of the castle, actually, and this is probably, I would very much say this was intentional, it gave me a sort of German expressionist sort of vibe, i.e. the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, you know, that very early silent yeah. film yeah uh, yeah it's a popular one i've never seen it right i have it on dvd i'll throw it over big, to you elaborate big elaborate sets yeah and, it's almost and, and it's almost love crafting a bit as well in that there's like angles that don't seem to make sense and you know all that sort of thing and um yeah it's it definitely got that vibe from it now we are introduced to diane weiss who plays peg and i love say right now i love diane weiss always she's have. very good here especially in the 80s in yeah. the 80s from lost boys to parenthood to this she's done some great mm-hmm. stuff uh but she's this this the great thing about the film they're all everyone in the film besides a couple of characters we'll get into are so pleasant and it's nice to see and peg is just the, she's trying to sell this avon to him it's a great scene um, which was huge back in the sixties and seventies and even early eighties. Yep. We had I remember Avon ladies banging. Oh, they had them here as well. Mom. They had them that? here. Oh, they oh, did. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. There you yeah. go. Didn't know that. Um, and it's definitely small town USA. You've got the click. Mm-hmm. You know, you got Helen Margent and, and and the other one. I can't remember the other name, but they're the ones who go in the street corner and gossip. Yeah. Anything anything changes in the neighborhood. As, as and then as when the a, and then when the husbands are coming back, they. Snap their fingers and they go right back to their house to do yeah. their Oh, it's very well realized. And they're basically, as we would have said here, I suppose, in a way, face wives, you know what I mean? Um, gossips and, you know, up to all sorts, you know, can't keep their noses out of anything. But, <laughs> you know, um, especially the one, what do you call her, the one that basically fancies um, Joyce. Joyce. Yeah, yeah, and she's very good great, at Great, great Kathy Baker. Yeah, I love Kathy Baker. So she is a very funny. Uh, yeah, and there's a scene I want to talk about with her at the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I know we all know he, him and Burton, Depp and Burton came up with the character from pretty much re-imaging the Cure, mm-hmm. the lead Robert Smith. the Cure. And there's a scene where she puts him into a room, and she gives him a, a, a change of clothes, yeah. and he's trying to put him on, and Johnny Depp's so. It almost reminisces of a character he did in Benny and June, mm-hmm. which was a very Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin kind of character. And he does this. Almost slapstick. When he's trying to put the... Yeah, but how Chaplin did it, he plays like mm-hmm. Chaplin, and I might probably describe him this wrong. He finds a way of doing what he needs to do, very quirky. Yes. But he's resilient at getting it it's done. Almost, it's almost, and this is probably a bad example, but it's almost in a way um, not unlike Ron Atkinson's Mr. Bean. You know? Yeah, there could be a little... I can see mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah. You know, the awkward, sort of socially awkward, but also yeah. physically awkward. 
um, but still manages to get it done on their own sort of way. I mean, this film is basically after you know sort of reading up about it and reading up about Burton and stuff. It's pretty obvious that this film there is um, you know Edward Scissorhands is basically he's autistic, or I'm not saying you know the character actually is within the story, but there is certainly a lot of sort of you know suggestion there. So there is, you know, about, you know, potential autism and, you know, as, you know, as and was, you know, Tim Burton autistic growing up, you know, he, I know he grew up in a lot of isolation and was bullied and stuff. So there is, you know, I, I certainly, I didn't catch it at all whenever I was a kid when I first watched it. Why would I? Um, but um, there's definitely heavy suggestions there of autism and, you know. Yeah, but back then, would you really thought they were going with that? No, no, not at all. It wasn't even properly recognized back then. That's what I'm saying. By today's standards, though, you wouldn't go that route. You wouldn't say that because it would have been in their thoughts back then. But on reflection, you know, watching it 30-odd years later, yeah. Yeah, but that's... I I, I get what you're saying, but that's what... Maybe they'll see it now, but Tim Burton, like, what? No, we weren't weren't going for that. Um, Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's probably maybe a subconscious thing. You know? No, I don't see it. Oh, I do. <laughs> I'm scared. Uh, so you got Joyce, who's the perv. Yeah. And remember she's the horny the, uh, the sort of um, bored housewife. Yeah, when, when she finds out that one of the, one of the uh, somebody called Edward Scissorhands a uh, perversion of nature. Yes, that was the and Joyce goes. Joyce goes. Ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the religious sort of zealot. Was it woman? Was, was... Oh, Esmeralda. Yeah. Yes, Esmeralda. Yes, that's right. I was. Uh, and apparently, there's a stage show of this, or there has been a stage show of Edward Scissorhands, and she's featured a lot more. Well, it might be. I might, actually, this would be probably be. This would probably make a decent little yeah, play. Yeah, and she would be. I think she, she's a very good character. What you think should have been in it more, and maybe being more of a villain. She probably, yeah, there might have been more to it with her too, but you just never know. Because she is kind of put put in the corner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, lo- I love the flashback scenes, mm-hmm. what we do get of Vincent Price. I do love the one where we had of the assembly line. Yes. And it's just making breakfast <laughs> and cookies or whatnot. And it, and there's Vincent Price, and he's rubbing his hand. Oh, this looks so good, like like a child yeah. himself. Yeah. And all the machines have faces yes. almost. And it's, it's such a convoluted way to make, like, basically... Um, egg and toast. You know? Well, then when he when he sees the, I do like because he's looking at the robots as you know because it's his invention and he's 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 embracing it. And then he one of them makes a one of the machines makes a heart shaped cookie. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and he lifts it up and he puts it next to the robot. Make and that's where he came up with the idea yeah. to create Edward yes. Scissorhands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was really neat. Create a boy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, the haircut, everything. Got, it, how it works is that everything goes very smoothly for mm-hmm. him, because he isn't a tell. He is, he, yes, he's somewhat of a fish out of water, but he's not an mm-hmm. idiot. He's he's obviously book smart. Uh, Vincent Price reads to him and, and teaches him stuff. That's you know, and we see it on his but wall. But he's not socially adept. Little, yeah, yeah, he's got. I mean, he he he, 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 he he's not you know, clueless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. And I like Bill, you know, Alan Arkin. He's just so casual, Alan Arkin, about yeah. the whole thing. Oh, he's brilliant. And <laughs> yeah, he is. He, he's so good as the guy who doesn't really yeah. care. As a sort of grumpy, sort of dad type character. Yeah. And like when he when he's uh, cutting the hedges, and then obviously he cuts the hedge, and he makes a T-Rex yeah. out of it. And he's like, oh, that's great. Now he's cutting all the neighbors' Yeah, hedges he's more practical. And... So he has. <laughs> yeah. 
And then he's doing the hair. And then he's asking him, are you making money from this? You yeah. Mean, you got to start And charging. the dog's hers as well. He's grooming the dogs as well. Mm-hmm. But then around the halfway point, well, it's really the, the final act. It all goes wrong. Well, the funny thing is, it all goes wrong when we meet two people, mm-hmm. Kim and Jim. Yes. And I do. Why the fuck were they thinking about putting him in a waterbed? Yeah, that was a really <laughs> stupid fucking. I don't know. Maybe they didn't have any other bed, but yeah, that's a. It was obviously done for comic effect, but yes, yeah, it, from a practical no sense, point because of view, the last person you would put in a waterbed would be Edward Scissorhands, you know. And why would you put him in your because when your daughter might be coming home, and then you find out there's a whole roll bed downstairs, a, a sofa yeah. bed downstairs. Yeah, I know, I know. Why didn't he go on the, the the sort of sofa bed from the start, and also. Why the fuck didn't they tell their daughter that there was a strange boy from the castle who they'd brought down from it, um, sleeping in her bed? But yes, obviously, well, these things were done for comic sh- effect. Yeah, but she, it was written the last minute. Uh, but he, she was in a camping trip, and they didn't have cell phones, so probably that's why. I oh, no, no, the cell then, phone thing, yeah, yeah, it was like the 80s. And then she makes the comment, Peg, to the daughter, I didn't know you were coming home this early. So, yeah, well, maybe, I suppose it's sort of, yeah. But, but the waterbed thing doesn't make any sense. No, no. But beside be him being him a little socially inept, Peg kind of is too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're kind of their own. They're quirky. well suited, maybe, and then maybe that's why she took him on. You know, yeah, you know, because she's sort of seen yeah. a lot of herself in him. Oh, so she was a very nice person, a kind person. Yeah, in the beginning, in the beginning scene, we see Peg trying to sell Avon to everybody, and she's having a horrible time at mm-hmm. it. And she finally finds somebody that maybe she can relate yeah. to because no one else is really relating to Another her. Another outsider type character. Another outsider. Yeah. Exactly. And she can test all the makeup on. That's right. Mm-hmm. I do like when Peg, not Peg, when they go to the talk show. Yes. <laughs> and then, the talk show host is always just, he always got that, the makeup and all on. And he's just. Well, that's Sean Davis. He was a talk show host, game host in the one? States. Yeah. Uh, he's just very of that time, talk show host of that time. It's very well realized. He's just so cringeworthy, you know. There was a there was a line though, um, even though Tim, uh, I got this zaniness, quirkiness happening, and things are happening quite fast. And once somebody in the audience says, "Why would you want to remove your your scissor hands? It won't make you special." Yeah, that was a profound. You, know, you wouldn't be here. Line. And Peg says, "You don't. He doesn't need the mm-hmm. scissors." hands to be special. special anyway yeah 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 it's a good line kind of sums up yeah. their relationship and, you and know. i did like where uh, um one of them asked him you know um is there any girly likes and he's about then jim and fucking kim's wee brother being complete dicks um as, as yeah. per usual and um, and um, he's just about to say it and then he electrocutes himself on the mic you know it's, it was a very well done scene well let me ask you that about that yes. scene because at the time Kim wasn't really taken yes. to him, but it was that scene where she's taken to yeah, him. Yes, sure. Uh, Why? Because well, I think she sort of sees it. Well, obviously for plot conveniences, you know, in reality. But I suppose they could um, sort of explain it away that she basically sees Edward's vulnerability and also the fact that he is genuine and a really good heart, and more importantly, he really likes her. Okay. And also, I, I and just, also, she was getting very sick and tired of Jim because Jim, as the film goes on, becomes more and more of a dick. Oh yeah, now it's. But it was nice to see Anthony Michael Hall. I forgot he was in really? this. Yes, so did I. I forgot he. Play, I, I remember the Jock character, but I forgot it was him who was playing him. And 
Well, this is the first time him playing a bully. He's usually the nerd. Exactly. So it was like a role reversal for him. Yeah. And he's really good at it. He is. He's, he is yeah. good. Uh, so Joyce, when Joyce tries to seduce yes. him, uh, Gussie's Kathy Baker is very yeah. funny. Well, she, um, yeah. You want to see? You want to see a great Kathy Baker performance? See her with Michael Keaton and Morgan Freeman. A movie called Clean and Sober. I know of it. She yeah, did. I haven't it. seen it. Know of did, it. Oh, it's brilliant. It's she was very good in it. Uh, you should check that out. Obviously, you know she's been she's done hundreds of stuff. Oh yeah. Um, but so she tries to seduce. It's very funny, and he's just such a simple guy. He's just sitting there. What yeah. the hell? She was Edward trembling. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's got these sweatpants. Yeah, they're just oh, don't do it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little cool start though. And yeah, well, he can't do it. He, he's scared. He's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. Is what happens. And then we all know what Joyce is going to do. She's going to use this to cry rape yeah. or or whatnot. Yeah, that's what she does. Yeah, pretty much. And. <laughs> So we meet Jim. Jim's tricks Edward, mm-hmm. and well, and Kim technically. Um, they see that Edward can get in the house as easily, yes. mm-hmm. and so Jim's father has is a rich man, and he has this huge stereo system in this locked mm-hmm. room, and he wants to sell the stuff. But they tell Edward and Kim, no, they tell Edward that. Oh, this is bully stuff. I took my stuff. I just want to get it back. But Edward knows that this is a lie, but he does it anyway. But for Kim, yes, he, 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 yeah, yeah, he admits that I did it for you, mm-hmm. Kim. Um, and he doesn't tell on him. Mm-hmm. Doesn't narc. I hated that scene when he got locked in that room. I totally forgot about that yeah. part. It's sad, like, but yeah, yeah. He looks so terrified. And when he comes out. See, this is why the neighbors, yeah, they're gossiping and a pain in the ass, but they're not bad people. Because when it when comes out... And this is, his, it's very clever the way it's done. And I'll tell you what it put me in mind of. The Twilight Zone episode, um, the monsters the monsters are due on Maple Street, and again, a small town Americana, and how um, it can take very little for the dark side of humanity to show its ugly face. You know what I mean? I'm not saying they're bad people, but I'm just saying they have a bad side. You know what I mean? And it, it only took... Um, for you know something like this, which wasn't Edward's fault, but they thought it was, uh, for them to turn on him. And humans are like that, you know. And it totally put me in mind of that episode of the original Twilight Zone, um, the monsters are due in Maple Street. Yeah, but when he goes out and he puts his hands up and he he, he doesn't realize that they're trying to put his hands down because they think he has weapons. Yes, and it's the neighbors that actually say stop. No, no, that's his hands. Yes. He leave, don't don't shoot but, him. They actually stop but that. But the neighbors do eventually sort of become part of they the lynch do, mob. But it's not it's not until he he finally loses yeah. it. Which I like. Well it's more whenever um, um you know he gets accused of rape. Well, no, he doesn't. Attempted I, mean, I rape. thought that was in the film. No, it's very subtly it, not really. He doesn't they don't say the word rape. Well, it is mentioned. So when he goes the word when is he, used. When he know no he goes into he goes to first he goes to jail. And then the officer we meet, who's Officer Allen, who's the guy who pretty much lets him go. Period. Twice. Yeah, he, he's he's one of the, the the nicest characters in it. He, yeah. Well, I think I I think they all have their merit, especially Bill and Peg. So, yeah. So he lets them go, but now he's kind of a pariah. No one's going to their house anymore. But the neighbors are leaving him alone. And there's an offline where they go to their corner, and the women are you know blah blah blah, and he's he's trying to have his way with mm-hmm. me. 
or something like that. It's not really the police aren't get coming after him because he's raped. That yes, stuff. I know that they're they're coming after him because the he because of Jim mm-hmm. and when he's carving the ice thing um, for for Kim. Can I just say as well that Jim, there's um, although he's essentially the main villain, but there's also reasons for him being an asshole as well because basically it's you know heavily suggested that his father is a dick to him and bullies him. Oh yeah, he says yeah. that because the reason uh, Kim goes, why did you do that to Edward? Mm-hmm. Why'd you tell him out lie, blah, blah? He goes, I can't, we can't go back. Why? Because he'll prosecute. He goes, he's not going to prosecute his son. He goes, he, that's the one person he wants yeah. to prosecute. Yeah. So that's why he can't But go even back, at the, earlier he's... on at the dinner table, he, you know, um, talks about how his dad won't let him have this car and stuff, you know, and he says, I have to work for it, you know? Yeah, but even Bill agrees with that. Sometimes you got to earn your car. No, I know that there, but obviously yeah. Jim himself is struggling with that and he has issues with his dad, basically. Yeah, yeah, that is, but he's still a douche. Oh, I know that, but there, but what I'm saying is there's reasons for him being a douche, it appears, it's it's suggested. So during this little attack, he accidentally cuts Kim, mm-hmm. and he panics and runs, mm-hmm. and then Jim screams fire. And this is where he, he finally, he finally, there's actually a scene before this. Where he saves Kevin? Where, what? No, not yet, not um, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. You're jumping him way ahead. <laughs> God, God, that's because you're fucking talking about Twilight Zone. <laughs> so no, when he's out of jail and he sees Jim for the first time, he starts tearing the house apart. Yes, with his with his claws, almost Wolverine style. It's the first time you've seen him use those as weapons mm-hmm. or violently. Right, in a sort of dark sort so, of way. Yeah, and so that's where you start to see he's a time bomb. Mm-hmm. Something could go wrong. This is the Frankenstein potentially, part. Yes, this potentially a monster. The monster yeah. of Frankenstein part. Um, but uh, yeah, so once Jim scr- screams uh, bloody murder, he runs and he starts destroying uh, the bushes of the people that have talked behind a bad about you know, mm-hmm. Joyce. And the car, Joyce's car, he scratches that, he pops the tires. Mm-hmm. He uh, knocks Helen's, uh, cuts the leg off one of his little bush animals he made. Yeah. Um, stuff like, petty stuff. Uh, so he's just running around the streets. And that's where she screams, I'm calling the police. I believe that was Helen. And that's why the, the cops stopped coming after him. Mm-hmm. Um, it sucks. And it goes full, pretty much full it, lynch mob after this. Yeah, and then he accidentally... He, he, he saves Mike O'Kevin. Yes. And, but in doing so, he cuts him accidentally, which is going to happen. And everyone sees he's not hurt. He's not hurt. Leave him alone. And he starts, starts running, and Officer uh, Allen lets him go. He pretends he shoots yes. him. He put, you know, bam, 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 and lets him go. And they go up there. And obviously, we know Jim gets, gets, gets killed, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kim. He's dead. I got his extra hand here. You know, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. But there's a scene where the lynch mob goes up there. And the funny thing is, they're not really a lynch mob. But they become, become the monsters? No, they become the lynch mob? Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're, they're not. No, no, no they are. They, they would, a lynch mob is there to, to do bodily harm. I don't think they would have done that to they, they, No, they might, might have done it themselves, but they would have allowed Jim to do it. They, they would have turned a blind eye to Jim doing it. No problem. Maybe, they have become the maybe monsters. I, I, I know. They're, they're, they're the villagers in Frankenstein. 
the angry fella. But at the, the end, I, 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 I know that's obvious. You know. Let me finish. Let me finish. Or, I'm, or I swear to God, <laughs> I'm going to get a mob after you. Good. <laughs> again? No. No. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> no, but... So when Jim dies, he falls down. Yes. And the minute she says, "I have," you know, the the building collapsed on him. Mm-hmm. Edward's dead, and he shows he shows the scissors. The town's mentality changes. You can see it in their faces. Like they realize what to become. Yes. So that that's a, that's a nice little arc for mm-hmm. me. I'm happy with this. And if you look at Joyce, especially in the front of the queue, there, she looks somber yeah. and down. She like, caused oh, this. What What have I done? Well, she she did it. You didn't. She had you a didn't big part on it. Like, no. Sh- no, she had a part in it, but she didn't cause this. She had a big part in it. No, she didn't. It was that's not the reason why he was run off. It was because of his vandalism. Mm-hmm. This was all, but anyways, yeah. I mean, she didn't help. Don't get me wrong. And she had the one look, and then she was all you know, and then he's up there the rest of his life by himself, and she would go back to her talking with grandma, and. She uh, she goes, I will always know he's up there from the snow because it doesn't snow here. But anytime he's, you know, carving ice, yes. you can see the, you know, yeah. the snow. And then... Can we it. just go back a bit to the um, the stuff with Jim, where he kills Jim? That's dark as fucking yeah. hell for what up um, until then is a, a furry tale. It's a pretty... It's a very dark ending. I, I'm not complaining on it. I think it's brilliant. I, I, it's almost like a grim fairy tale. Yeah. Would you, would you think it's more of a yes, grim fairy tale? The, yes, Am I no, no, I would agree with you there. The, the best fairy tales and the most memorable ones, you know, Hansel and Gretel and stuff, are pretty much horrors. And it, it verges, the, the, the final act of Edward Scissorhands, especially, you know, up in the spooky castle and stuff, it's very Hammer-esque and it's, it's dark. And especially when he kills Jim, you know, that shows that, well, Edward Scissorhands becomes a killer, you know. Um, you know, in defending Kim against Jim, and um, th- th- for what is yeah. up until then a, a family film, Disney esque. That's that's pretty dark stuff, and, and I thought no, it was brilliant. I, I don't think it's as dark as you think. I mean, a it was thematically it is. I I, I mean, it to me it was it was uh, self defense. There's ambiguity there. So, you know, um, but. I don't know. You know, it's funny because in let's kind of pick it back on what you just said. Mm-hmm. The first has so Tim Burton is a genius, and I'll tell you why. If this was any other fucking director making this film, I'd laugh it out of theater. Mm-hmm. I would go, "This is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen in my fucking." But he puts life. it off. But Tim Burton has a way of transporting you into his imagination. And creating this world, and you buy into yeah, it. Yeah, and, and the story. Plus, um, visually, you know, he's very sort of iconic, you know, um, visually, and, you know, very memorable visuals and stuff. But he, when he brings you into his world, you you find it being real, yeah. and you adapt to yes. it. Yes. So it's you don't think of, oh, that's silly. I never saw a house like that. You don't. You're just yeah. in it. And you're part of the mob. Or you're part of Edward, yeah. or whatever. Well, you can be part of the mob. I'd be part of. I'd be Vincent Price. <laughs> yeah, you get it. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. You leave, you leave little Edward with no hands. <laughs> you rat bastard. 
but yeah, Tim Burton does have that that way of letting you into his world and you buy into it. And it's and it's wonderful. That's what Tim Burton he's makes Tim Burton basically. Great. He's almost like right. Um, as I've said before many times, I've always fucking hated Disney and Disney films, right? And if this was made by someone else, as you said, it would be very very Disney esque, and I would not like it. But I think this is a fucking brilliant film. It's basically, as we were saying, it's a remake of Frankenstein, but it still has a lot of the darkness of Frankenstein, but um, done in a sort of fairy tale esque sort of way. And um, I mean, essentially, it's down to Burton completely pulls this off. Um, he completely nails it. Um, so he does stylistically and you know, story wise, and you know, depth. Um, Vincent Price and um, Winona Ryder as well I have to give a mention to Dan West um, or West or whatever way it's pronounced Alan Arkin yep. Kathy Baker it, it's all, great cast it, yeah. um, so it is and they, they absolutely pull it off I haven't seen this film in about 30 years since I first watched it um, whenever it was first released in video or whatever and I have to say I think it's a fantastic film and a, and a modern American classic film um, I'm up there with you but I'll never watch this film again. No, I would. I won't. Um, I'll tell you why. Why? Uh, what works for this film is pretty much everything you just said. Uh, from the actors, the characters, the sets, Tim Burton's vision, Vincent Price, uh, the great Johnny Depp. And everything, I'm with the whole film the entire way. But I can't accept the ending. And I know you're a fan of it. You just said it because you liked how it turned from this quirky, fun, Disney-esque kind of film, Fish Out of Water story, to this dark-toned, you know, vigilante justice. Yeah. But I'm going to go back to what Tom Cruise said. He says it's, it's, he said it's, it's, it's not a happy ending. It's not and I, I, I know it's not meant to be. And I know Tim Burton didn't want it to be. And I'm glad he... It's so weird how to review this because I'm giving you the past guy. Obviously, it's a wonderful film, but I'll never watch it again. I, I got so depressed at the end of this film. And it's not that I'm a big, you know, I don't, oh, I don't still have to, <laughs> I, I just don't know. That's I, good. I like, that, that, that means it's had a great effect on you. It has because I'm like, fucking hell, go out there, hug them. Mm-hmm. Everybody say it's okay. Go back. Don't, don't sit it's there better in the house. And, and life's better sweet. And don't go up, go up there, go up, Kim, and see him. The best fairy hey, tales are the better sweet see... ones. Ah, oh, no, he's by. All I see is a man by himself, um, for the rest of his life, which is pretty much permanent. It sounds and... to me like Tim Burton and all has done his job, and that it is, it has hit you as it has hit me on a completely emotional level, and that is what it is meant to do. Only I've accepted that it's hit me on an emotional level. You're struggling with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I've, I watched it quite a few times when I was younger, when I came out of theaters and stuff. And mm-hmm. I haven't watched it like 20 years. And I remember it as I was getting into it. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this now. And then I just said, fuck me. Mm-hmm. I did. I want, I guess you can say, not the grim fairy tale ending. I wanted the fairy tale ending. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you want them to get be happily married, Kim and yeah. Edward. Yeah. Yeah, but oh, you know, 
I, I prefer the prime. <laughs> yes, I know I'm a bleak bastard, but uh, you know, give give me the sort of bittersweet, sort of depressing ending any day over the uh, any day of the week over the you know everything tied up on a nice little bow, a nice little Disney bow. Fuck that shit. You don't have to though. They could have done <laughs> something like. Even that they email each other or something. <laughs> <laughs> they meet the, the, many years later. They met again on Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or oh yeah, yeah, I can see him now. My name's Edward. I'm really good with my hands. <laughs> um, no, but it would have been nice. You know what I would like to have seen? Yeah. Officer Allen going in there and checking in on him. Hey, buddy, how's it going today? Something. Him. Uh, something. Uh, uh, no, offers- no. Let me finish. Something where he's not alone. But there's but there's a heavy suggestion is, uh, in fact, there's a line by Edward Scissorhands before he runs up to the castle, and it suggests that he likes being alone and he wants to be alone and he doesn't like fucking people, uh, because he knows what people are like. Edward is, is is innocent, is good, you know, he has a good heart, and there's a suggestion there that he belongs alone. As tragic as that is, as it sounds, but he's at his happiest and most creative when he's alone. And I yeah. get him. I can't be arsed with people either. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, lock me up in a castle with Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a downer, man. It is a downer, but it is. It's wonderfully crafted. And yes. You can't you can't fault Tim Burton, and yeah, I guess he can't sell out. I mm-hmm. mean, he wasn't going to do it. I'm sure Hollywood begged him to change it. I guarantee. I mean, yeah. especially to get if you can get Tom Cruise. And he said no, and he got giant kudos for not taking Tom Cruise's advice and or the big studios because I promise you he got please, please, please don't do this. It would have ruined this. the film if it had a, had a happy ending. Yeah, maybe, maybe for me. Um, anyway. It's bittersweet. It's a perfect way to end that one. Mm-hmm. Um, per Edward, yeah, per Edward. <laughs> Free haircuts for life. That'd be nice. Yeah, and dog cuts. <laughs> and you don't have to worry about you know landscaping. Yeah, and getting your heads trimmed. Yeah, and cutting the beef and all that kind of stuff. Cutting, cutting your beef kebabs. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is a good one, guys. Uh, obviously, everyone who's going to listen to this podcast has seen it, so there you go. Uh, next up, we have another timeless classic, the 1980 Christmas Evil. <laughs> I could barely finish that. Yep. Uh, but hey, it's not Christmas month without a horror film. Exactly, and we got a double banger for you guys because it's Christmas treat. We got it. We're throwing another one in there. <laughs> you, what? You have all this time to do this? Yep. Yep. Just we for just you. found out about the. We talked about it in the podcast because Doctor Who boy over here brought it up. <laughs> so the killer robot Santa movie is coming out. We can get it on video on demand and on Shutter. So we're gonna do that for you guys and you guys only. Yeah, that's right. We're gonna do Christmas the film bloody that Christmas. Off Doctor Who. We're gonna be doing. <laughs> no fucking hell, Jesus! No, I'm sorry. Like I said before, these guys probably have talent. <laughs> um, that's it. We're gonna wrap this one up now, Trevor. I put on the Facebook and Instagram site that you have. A, is this a spinoff magazine? Is it's, this a spinoff? Of yeah, basically what it is, it's part of the Phantasmagoria special edition series, and it's um, new, newly released, and it's basically a, hu- a huge homage 
to the classic 1970s, 80s um, dark fantasy magazine Fantasy Tales, which was edited by Stephen Jones and David A. Sutton, who are on board for this special issue that we've done together. And yeah, um, it's a well. I mean, I would say it was a brilliant issue, but it really is. And, yeah, it has some amazing sort of names attached. You know, there's plenty of classic stories reprinted in there. Um, we have the likes of Neil Gaiman, Clive Barker, Michael Moorcock, um, many others on board, you know, uh, Joe R. Lansdale. You know what I mean? It's just um, quality from start to finish. I would say that. I'm very, very just honoured to be a part of it myself personally. But it's on sale throughout the world from Amazon and will be on sale um, in select stores like Forbidden Planet International Belfast soon also. That's the Phantasmagoria Fantasy Tales special. There you go, guys. I have uh, posted that on our Facebook site, so check it out. If you want to get your copy now, go grab it. <laughs> um, all right. That's it. We're done. Uh, uh I always, my endings are so fucking long. It's like the goodbye tour. <laughs> um, all right, guys. We'll wrap this one up. Take care of yourselves.